0: The professional's choice.
1: This episode is proudly sponsored by NiceJob. Visit get.nicejob.com to find out all about NiceJob's reputation marketing platform. You can collect two to three times more customer reviews using Nice Job's specific review campaign, which starts with a text message and follows with up to three emails, ensuring that your customer has every opportunity to leave you a five-star review. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Visit get.nicejob.com.
0: This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group and another tool I picked up was the Klein 5-in-1, Nut Driver, just did a little demo, one minute demo, on Instagram and Facebook the other day now, and I made a mistake I said, compared to the 8-in-1 nut driver, which is bulky but I have it and I like it but it's a 7-in-1 nut driver, I made that mistake but the 5-in-1 is a smaller version um, you don't get obviously as many uh, nut drivers because there's two less but it's got the main ones that you need, and it's smaller and it's compact, and it fits in your tool pouch, no problem, in, in one of the screwdriver slots, and it's got five nut drivers on it it's better than carrying around five different nut drivers in my opinion you guys can make that decision for yourself but it's a cool little tool thank you to the master group once again check out master.ca what's up guys welcome back to the podcast we got jeff hunter on the podcast and the man is on a mission for electrification of buildings and homes Now, what does that mean exactly? It means to rid of combustion. So any appliance that uses natural gas, to rid of it, and to use geothermal in its place. There's a lot of reasons why Jeff is on this mission. We're going to talk about them during the podcast, but a couple of uh, key points is like global warming, climate change, and how the methane gas leaking out of miles of pipelines can affect global warming because do have minuscule leaks on pipelines um you do have minuscule leaks in buildings that you don't know are there right you do all the time like i I see it all the time when i'm driving around on a on a genie boom or a a scissor lift i can get a whiff of natural gas and i go up yep it's a union it's leaking Um, i see this all the time so the constant little leaks globally can contribute to global warming and climate change and the other key point to remember here while we're talking is that and and jeff explains as well is that with geothermal you're you're actually extracting energy from the ground right which lowers your energy bill in total because you're getting a lot of energy from the ground naturally so these conversations are going to happen and and jeff's out to educate and and teach us the benefits of going geothermal and that's what this podcast is about so stay tuned guys Jeff's a smart guy pay attention this is the HVAC know-it-all podcast I'm your host Gary McCready welcome to the HVAC know-it-all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto Canada your host and HVAC tech Gary McCready will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Jeff, we got something cool to talk about tonight. How are you?
1: I'm great. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I I think we got something great to talk about, and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on and talk to your audience.
0: Yeah, and, and I appreciate your time. And we talked briefly the other day, and uh, what you have to, to talk about in in the realm of geothermal, I think is really important because I think there's a big future there for Geo. But before we get into into that, let's maybe you give yourself an introduction of of sort of what you what you've been doing in the trades and what you're up to now and, and how you got onto this geothermal uh mission that you're on.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the missions has started uh, a fair time ago. Back in about 2005, I got into uh, HVAC uh, out of school. I was uh, I went to Niagara College and took uh, mechanical engineering technology there. And, and Niagara was a very uh, I grew up in St. Catharines and St. Catharines is like a manufacturing town, lots of different manufacturers there. And the college courses were very um driven towards manufacturing and engineering and that sort of thing so I actually ended up starting working in in manufacturing around there and then I guess about a year and a half after I graduated um somehow came across my desk that uh, hey there's this cool company out in Elmira Ontario that uh, just outside of Waterloo that's into this thing called geothermal and uh, so I went and applied and, and got the job and, and that was my entrance into HVAC and um what uh, the company in Elmira was uh, called Next Energy Inc. And uh, we, um, at that time it was a startup company, I guess that they started in early 2000s, like 99, something like that. And they were, uh, it was a unique experience because they were one of Canada's top 50 hottest startups at the time. And uh, I just point that out because it was, you know, when I first, when I got there, I think the company was like doubling every year or more than doubling every year. So working in an environment like that, where you, you're rapidly changing, everything changes so fast, there's more new people coming in and jobs are changing and you have to learn on your feet very quickly. And so that's kind of what I did, you know, started in, in tech and uh, commercial design and very quickly got onto the uh, tech support line. So we were uh, working with contractors across Canada. And that's when I got my first foray into a little bit into refrigeration and heat pumps. So I was, you know, doing troubleshooting on the phone for guys uh, across the country and then um, training. So design and training of uh, geothermal heat pump systems. And that led me quickly into uh, sales and, you know, uh, windshield time on the road and traveling across the country. And my job was to um, go and find businesses, uh, small businesses and help them uh, discover geothermal and help them offer it to Consumers uh, in their area, so that was um, that was my start, and that uh, that took us. uh, You know, I was there for six or seven years, and that took us right through. I mean, during those times, that was peak oil times. Um, If you're watching the media at that time, that was obviously through 2008 and the the Great Financial Crisis, and uh, energy prices were going sky high. I think a a barrel of oil hit 150 bucks a barrel, and that was driving a lot of interest in geo at that time because homeowners uh, on oil propane or straight electricity heating their houses like it was expensive and people were just banging on our door for the solution and so it was it was working quite well at that time and then there was of course there was rebates and incentives that the federal government had put in to stimulate the economy the eco energy program and uh, that helped drive a lot of interest and then all of a sudden uh, everything turned off in I don't know if it was 2011 or whatever shut off energy prices you know dropped significantly um you saw the emergence of natural gas fracking in the mid 2000s there and those those wells started to come online so natural gas prices tanked and so that that changed a lot of things and so the business dried up so i ended up um, uh, getting into conventional wholesale i've always been interested in how things work today or how they work before or how does business run and so i thought it was important to understand how conventional products like, you know, furnaces and fireplaces and air conditioners, how do, how do those products make it to market into a consumer's home? Uh, so I joined a company and, and did that uh, sales and regional sales for a bunch of years and did a lot in hydronics and uh, boilers. So I worked with Bosch on um, helping a team bring uh, new tankless water heaters into Canada and North America. That was pretty cool. And then uh, 2019, end of 2018, I got into uh, commercial, so I was, uh, you know, I went through a lot in residential, and I was interested in commercial, getting the bigger equipment, and so I joined a company that was a rep agency, and we did some cool stuff, Um, cool chillers, modular chillers, um, maglev chillers, uh, some geothermal retrofitting at a high school in London, so taking it off uh, natural gas and putting it on geo, that was interesting, and and the flag in my cap was just before I was leaving the rep agency. I sold a thousand ton, twelve hundred ton, uh, maglev chiller. So that was pretty freaking cool. Um,
0: Sweet. <laughs>
1: it was fun. Yeah. So a cooling towers and whole thing, whole thing. But I, I, I left because you know I'm, I'm seeing a lot of stuff changing in the marketplace. Things are really accelerating. Um, I work with the Ontario Geothermal Association as well, and we do a lot of advocacy work with different levels of government, different organizations. Uh, talking about heat pumps and uh, seeing a lot of acceleration and interest in electrification and heat pumps. So um, that's kind of where fast forward to today. And and um, out of that, I started uh, my own company here just this spring. And I guess it's kind of out of a COVID, COVID thing. But it's been you know 15 or 16 years. It's it seems like a startup, but it's 15 or 16 years in the making to day one, right? So I started uh, Evolve Thermal Energy this spring. And I mean, our role is to do kind of what we were doing back in the day in in helping connect consumers to contractors and helping them both uh, move forward with electrification, Um, you know, because even for contractors, it can be a bit daunting to, you know, think about getting into geothermal. So I help contractors um, uh, do that with confidence.
0: Cool. So, I mean, this is a very interesting conversation and there's some words that uh, i want you to define later on because uh, we'll, we'll get to those like electrification like when 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 uh when i when you say that word or i say that word i feel like uh there's a super villain going to pop out and zappas zap with lightning bolts right
1: <laughs> and then yeah.
0: and then net zero is another word that um that i'd like to talk about too but before we get like deeper let's talk about what the basics, like we don't have to spend forever on it, but in, in in a minute or two, define like the basics of what geothermal is.
1: Yeah. So one way to, and I, I like talking about or describing it a little differently than geothermal is renewable thermal energy. Um, we have all the energy we need for heating, cooling, and hot water of buildings around us all the time uh, beneath our feet in the ground. And so we use heat pump systems and a piping network that we bury in the ground. And the piping is, you know, essentially the same as gas pipe. It's high, de- high density polyethylene pipe, just a particular grade of it. And we bury that pipe in the ground and uh, we circulate a fluid And because we're in a cold climate in Canada. It's usually a water and ethanol fluid. And we circulate a fluid through that piping network. And that fluid is going to be you know, like uh, 10 or 20 degrees uh, different, uh, colder in the winter time than the uh, ground around it, right? So there's a temperature difference. Mm-hmm. And if we induce the right amount of flow in that piping system and we get a, a good Reynolds number, uh, we're able to uh, have a good heat transfer between the pipe wall, so the dirt and the pipe wall and the fluid. So the, the fluid picks up some of the heat that's in the dirt. And then we uh, move that back into the heat pump and that's absorbed into the refrigeration circuit of the heat pump. Uh, where that heat is uh, uh, obviously upgraded, and then we disperse that into the distribution system in the home or the building, whether it's ductwork or or a radiant system, right? And uh, the magic of that is that we can do that incredibly efficiency, uh, efficiently. Uh, the C O P s of these heat pumps today are you know three and a half to five hundred percent, or three and a half to five C O P, so up to five hundred percent. When you say C
0: O P, what what exactly do you mean by that? Just so we have a clarification for the audience.
1: Yeah. Coefficient performance. It's how we rate the performance of a heat pump system. I guess there's a couple of ways to do it, but uh, rating the heating uh, effectiveness of a heat pump. So how much energy do you get out, thermal energy do you get out of a heat pump versus how much electrical energy do you put into it? So what is the benefit from it? And that's rated in the COP. So
0: 100%
1: efficiency is like, um, you know, electric toaster or an electric heater, Baseboard heater is 100% efficient. You plug it into the wall, you get one kilowatt of electricity from the plug, you get one kilowatt worth of heat out of it. A heat pump, you could put one kilowatt in, we could get two and a half to four kilowatts of heat from the ground and thermal energy, uh, add that to the compressor heat, we can get you know uh, three and a half to five kilowatts of heat into the house. So very efficient.
0: Cool, cool. So there's different styles of loops that you talked about. Like we're we're going into the ground, so like closed loop, open loop, um, horizontal, vertical, lake loops. And I'm and and I'm not going off the top of my head here. These are from your notes, so everybody knows. <laughs> you sent me some <laughs> notes earlier, so I'm reading these, so we can we can move through this podcast um, in sort of in a in a structured manner this go around. So if you want to touch on what the differences are between closed loop. Um, open loop, horizontal, vertical, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so every application is different. Um, Every house is different. Uh, Obviously, like I mentioned earlier, uh, delivered fuel systems, so oil, propane, uh, rural areas, uh, prices are higher than in urban areas, right? Urban areas have a connection to to the natural gas grid, and those prices are uh, extremely low for natural gas. Um, So in rural areas, it's really cost effective when you have acreage to put in a horizontal loop because we use excavation equipment we just dig down pull the frost line six feet and we lay it out flat uh horizontally it's just the problem is it takes up a heck of a lot of room so you need that acreage um in urban areas where you don't have that room and which what's quite uh hot in toronto the gta right now for condos is vertical uh in fact even before they build the building uh they'll come in and they'll they'll do the vertical loop uh, in the building footprint first and then they'll build the building on top of it so vertical loops is bringing drill rigs uh, like water well drillers some specialized equipment drill the hole it's a little different than a water well hole because we're putting the pipe down on the hole and then we seal the hole with a a grout an impermeable grout uh, all the way from the bottom to the top so that we're not you know conflicting with uh, aquifers and and letting surface water get in so it's closed but uh, that's vertical loops and then Uh, Very popular in cottage country, lake loops. It's very economical because it's just a a mash of piping that you kind of build out and put it on a mat and float it out and sink it down. And that'll provide your heating and cooling energy. Um, Open loop is using water directly. Uh, So closed loop is a closed piping system, pressurized. Open loop, you're using groundwater directly. And that works great uh, in rural areas as well when you have good water quality and good water flow. Uh, But it can get challenging in some areas. permission to take water is becoming more difficult these days. So having those regulations uh, available, knowing what your options are there is important. Um, But yeah, different ways, you know, it's, it's all about sources and sinks. So where can I get thermal energy from and where can I deliver thermal energy to? And that that also means more than just close the building loop. That could mean wastewater. Uh, We're seeing a lot more wastewater heat recovery applications now too, because I mean, in a big building, uh, you know, poop has a, has a pretty high temperature to it and it has a predictable amount of energy that you can get from it. So wastewater heat recovery systems are are becoming more popular.
0: Yeah, they, they there's a lot of buzz around heat pump or geothermal systems in general that, that I've seen, especially being online and seeing, um, different technicians working and installing geothermal. So, I mean, next on on your notes here that you sent me we're, we're going to talk about um like climate change and, and emissions and th- is this a big driver of this because i mean i was watching um uh, i've talked about this show it's not on netflix anymore and i'm not sure why but it was called one strange rock and it is a show about the earth and and how it all intertwines and all over the world and how this affects that and they're saying how a a um co2 Basically, cushion ar- around the Earth doesn't let the heat escape, and that's part of what is is changing, um, uh, changing the, the the environments around the globe is because we're we're trapping this heat in. Is so, climate change and emissions. Ha- mm-hmm. How big does this affect the geothermal industry? All right, so. The more I talk to people that use rapid locking system on large scale jobs, the more I believe and know it's going to be the future of pipe fitting. Now, it's funny too, because somebody was trolling on Facebook. Well, of course there's trolls on Facebook. That's what it's for really. Um, Sort of jabbing at me because I promote the product. Now, somebody stepped in and said, That they've got a system right now, a VRF system that's been holding 730 pounds on a pressure test for a week, right? And I've talked to techs that have done thousands of fittings and haven't had a leak, and the leaks they do have are install error of the fittings in the pipe. So it seems to me, okay, that from everybody I've talked to, that if you install this stuff properly, you are good to go. And I truly believe with that kit and the amount of R and D that they put into it and the amount of money they've thrown at it and research um this thing's going to be the, pu- the, the the future of pipe fitting and paul schubert president of rls he is a fantastic guy he will talk to you he will educate you and he will spend time with you the contractors to show you what it's all about so he's on the hvac not all app he's on instagram um, reach out through RLS if, if, you're, if you're not on one of those platforms and he'll take the time and, and he'll talk to you. 100% he will because he's, he's done it. I've seen him do it already. So Haven IAQ, they're making waves in the indoor air quality space and they have a personal use program where you can get a reduced cost CAM, central air monitor to install on your system at home for yourself. Now what this does is it is it gets you familiar for. I'm having trouble with words today, like always. (laughs) Familiarize with the system, okay? And the app and the web portal. And once you become comfortable with it and see what it can do, now when you recommend it to a customer, it doesn't feel like a sale. It feels like you're truly trying to help them solve any IAQ issues that they have in their home. So reach out to Haven for their personal use program and, and grab one for yourself and check it out. Dan Foss has a new install app. So if you just go onto the Play Store or if you go into the App Store and you search Danfoss Install App, it will populate. And it's got a bunch of tools on there um, you can use for installing uh, when it comes to their parts and stuff like that. Pretty cool stuff. One last thing. Armstrong Fluid Technology are offering up a very cool uh, giveaway. okay? And, And they're looking for candidates. We've got three candidates. We want two more. A design envelope pump controller for free and an install. The install is for free as well. This gets mounted to an existing pump, and the pump controller optimizes that pump's performance. It also comes with a a pump manager program for 12 months. It's a a subscription. There I go again. Subscription for 12 months for free. Now, they want this technology out there so you can see how well it works. So they're offering it, for free to 5 candidates that will put up their hand first. We've got 3 of them we need 2 more guys so reach out to me if you're interested in that. Okay. So anyway guys last last thing, last but not least the HVAC Know It All app is gaining ground. We've got a lot of people on there that are willing to help. We've got some green check um, professionals on there where we've voted them in as high end professionals that want to make this trade better they've got a free hat. Not like that's the main reason you should have the app. The main reason you should have the app is because it's professionals trying to help each other and get better individually as well. And the community is phenomenal, better than Facebook, better than Instagram. There's no trolling, no BS. It's $10 for the year US. But when you, when you get value, I mean, there's, there's a value exchange there that needs to happen and it costs money to build an app. So the HVAC Know it All app, check it out, guys. Let's get back. the rest of the show
1: oh it's everything yeah it's uh i mean you're talking about the greenhouse effect right there and that is that is you know carbon dioxide uh impacting greenhouse temperatures that was discovered in like the 1950s actually just wrote a post post on that today that's why it's on top of my head otherwise i wouldn't have known that but uh, the kepler whatever they they started measuring co2 in the atmosphere back in the late 50s and then they started noticing the trends trends of it increasing and then at some point in time somebody related uh, uh, anthropogenic so human-made emissions uh, are causing those increases they made the connection and What's been accelerating? If you look at the uh, um, temperature in the atmosphere, has been accelerating just in the last decade or two, quite a bit. You see it on the news all the time, and a lot of that is due to methane emissions. And this is part of the big problem because in Canada and North America, we use natural gas to heat our buildings. Uh, makes for for the vast majority. And you know the problem isn't. I mean, it is a problem to burn the methane, the natural gas, and get CO2 and nitrous oxide and sulfur dioxide and all that out of it. But the unburned methane that travels through hundreds and thousands of kilometers of piping that leaks is become, becoming a bit of a challenge, right? And because that methane is like, I think it's 84 times more uh, powerful as a greenhouse gas emission um, in the first 20 years of its life in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. Uh, it's like 28 times more powerful over a hundred years than carbon dioxide so it's a, it has a big impact methane emissions so uh, geo plays a huge role in that because we're not using combustion at point of use to provide space conditioning again it's it's right beneath your feet and you're just moving that energy now i know um, obviously we have a challenge of you have to look down the line we're using electricity so how are you generating that electricity and we have to address that and we're lucky in Ontario that we're about 92% clean. As far as our power generation goes, we have a pretty clean grid here due to a lot of work. Um, so yeah, heat pumps eliminate the challenge of emissions from space conditioning and watering.
0: Mm -hmm. And so we talked about the word net zero earlier and how does net zero or first of all, what is net zero and how does it play into, um, reducing emissions?
1: So I guess there's different ways to describe net zero because I think sometimes it's, it's net zero energy. And even I, I mock this up a bit, like using essentially the same amount, you're producing the same amount of energy on site as you're using. Right. Uh, And in often cases uh, you can offset that by uh, other means too. So um, if you're feeding back to the grid or something, uh, I don't know exactly how, how that all works, but I think what the, The clear definition should be or needs to be is net zero carbon emissions, right? We don't want to be generating more carbon emissions than we're using or something. Um, We have to essentially negate the carbon emissions or the greenhouse gas emissions that we're producing globally in order to um, eliminate the global temperature rise. We've seen on the news quite a bit, you know, the uh, 1.5 degrees C or the Paris Accord and the two well, 1.5, the target to not warm more than 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius. I mean, that's a serious thing because that we can see the impacts on climate already. Um, Even here in Canada, we saw two weeks ago, three weeks ago in BC, those incredible temperatures. I mean, that's not an anomaly. Uh, That's statistically becoming more and more prevalent, right? And so net zero is across all sectors of the economy globally and buildings represent a big chunk of emissions when you look at it globally that we need to you know square those out and the only way to do that is to get rid of combustion for space conditioning and water heating
0: Mm -hmm. so that brings us to a good segue of the word electrification what (laughs) what is i mean it seems I put out a post about this earlier this week and I'm going to mention this because it seems like common sense, what electrification is we're going to use electricity, but I did a little demo of not checking a fuse on a metal surface. Cause you can get continuity through the metal surface, even if the fuse is dead mm-hmm. and people are going, Oh, that's common sense. And I'm like, well, <laughs> guys, guess what? Um, common sense is not common until someone shares that information with you. So somebody out there um, may not know that, but now they do. And and, and that's, that's what I mean. Like we got to talk about the word electrification, even though it might be common sense to some people, some people might not know what it means. So what is electrification?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's important because, I mean, it, the first thing I want to say before we talk about it is just we have the solutions and the systems today to meet the challenges that have been that science has identified, you know, we know we know that uh, emissions in the atmosphere are increasing, and we know the impact of those emissions incre- increasing, and we know that we're responsible for a good chunk of them. And there, obviously, there's emissions that we can't, you know, that, that are natural emissions as well, but we can control the emissions that we make. So electrification in the building sense is uh, just like you said, moving space conditioning and water heating to electric-based systems that are zero combustion at point of use. And electrification can be described in transportation as well. We're seeing it right now, right, with uh, electric vehicles coming in and electric bikes and all that. Electrification of transportation is moving transportation from the internal combustion engine to uh, electric systems.
0: Yeah, so basically going going electric with a clean power grid will hopefully over the course of time start reducing emissions within the atmosphere. Right.
1: Yeah. And you're right there. You mean, you've got to follow it down the line. Like, uh, and I see there's always a lot of conversation about this online is like, well, you guys are running a heat pump, but you're generating your electricity from a coal fired plant. So true. (laughs) So you do have to make sure down the line, but you know, when you think about it, uh, there's another word that comes to mind: is uh, distributed energy resources, and that's something that a term you would see in, you know, utility channels. And um, it really means having, you know, solar PV at your house to generate electricity, which is offsetting the need for the utility to generate your electricity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, geothermal is a distributed energy resource itself. It's it's a distributed thermal energy resource, right? Because essentially you know, seventy percent uh, of the energy that this heat pump is putting into your house is free thermal energy from the ground. It was in the ground. The heat pump. We're we're, we're paying the electricity to power the heat pump to move that energy from the ground into the house. Um, so that's a distributed energy uh, resource as well.
0: So, mm-hmm. so you brought up an interesting point uh, the other day with me and a particular gas company and and what what they, um, I guess, were quoted in saying what it costs per home to install uh, a natural gas service and compare it to what it would cost to put in a geo system. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Because that was that was
1: interesting. Yeah, and it's an important discussion because uh, this continues to go on and, and the word I'm going to use is subsidization of uh, the gas grid of fossil fuel systems. So we talk about subsidization of renewables. You see incentives and all that trying to level the playing field for renewables with conventional systems, but there is still a tremendous amount of subsidization of uh, fossil fuel systems. And we see it here in Ontario with rural natural gas expansion. The province puts out hundreds of millions of dollars to the gas companies to expand gas grids into these rural communities. And it's it's totally understandable because the rural communities are on delivered fuels and they want the same access to cheap energy that urban communities have with natural gas, right? So they deserve that access and they should have uh, find ways to to get it. But yeah, you know, the OGA um, back in like 2016, uh, there were there was a rural natural gas expansion uh, process going on at that time, and anybody can be. An intervener in these processes with the Ontario Energy Board because gas and electricity is regulated in Ontario. Uh, so us as consumers, we have a voice and we can go there and speak our mind. And so as an association, the Ontario Geothermal Association went there and intervened and said, you know what, hey, um, we've done houses and projects in rural areas uh, with geothermal. We've provided people with uh, clean, uh, affordable, space conditioning, and water heating system. So why is the government of Ontario, who has a climate commitment at the time they did uh, to reduce emissions, uh, why are you giving them hundreds of millions of dollars to expand this gas line? Because that gas line is now going to be there for 80 years, right? So that those emissions are going to go for 80 years and we don't have that kind of time. And and so part of the process is, is interviewing uh, executives and people at Enbridge under oath on the stand. And actually, last night I went back through the files to just to absolutely double check that this was in public record. And it is. Anybody can search it up on the OEB case files. Uh, but they testified that the cost of uh, every house, so in a rural expansion situation where they have to extend the mains and put new gas lines in um, to the meter per homeowner is $25,600. Now, that's just to the meter on the outside of the house. You know, the homeowner is responsible for the furnace and ductwork and distribution, all that. So it's essentially about 30000 bucks. And it's like, wait a minute. Well, we can do geothermal for the same or less, right? A geothermal system in a rural application, horizontal, I'm not going to say exactly, but it's generally about the $25,000 range when you can do it horizontally. So, and that includes the heat pump. That's heating, cooling, and hot water. So what's going on here? And the, the thing that happens there is it's being subsidized by the government at different levels. And then it's, it's paid for in the backs of the existing consumers that are already rate payers. Uh, and then those new gas consumers, they also, and you saw news reports after they did this, that people said, well, wait a minute, I didn't realize I was going to get a 25 cent per cubic meter charge for the next 20 years to pay for this. So they're able to use the depth of their network to amortize and make those costs extend over a longer period of time where we, we haven't been able to do that with geothermal.
0: Interesting. So what, what I, what I take out of that is that the government's getting in your way well, <laughs> in, I think what, on some levels.
1: I think what I want to say there, and, and there's is um, uh, that oftentimes you hear geothermal is expensive. Yeah. And, I just want to say that it doesn't have to be. Um, and there's some studies that we did recently. I don't know if I, yes. So, my next, so this goes right into my next kind of point here um, is that there is a disconnect between who benefits from the technology and who pays for it. So, who benefits is the homeowner because they get cheap energy. Because the, when you have a heat pump, you know, you're isolated, you're insulated from electricity prices, right? Because you're only buying a quarter of your energy from the grid, most of your energy is coming from the ground. So when they mm-hmm. hike the rate of electricity, you, you only really see a quarter of the impact. Um, so the homeowner benefits, but also society does, because if we're talking about electrification, if we're seriously talking about reducing our emissions in the building sector uh, and electrifying, uh, we need a heck of a lot of heat pumps. And the challenge with air source heat pumps is, it's just like an air conditioner and at this, baffles me because the day you need your air conditioner the absolute most is the day that it's the least efficient (laughs) so it's the same thing with an air source heat pump if we need it in the winter time when it's minus 32 out for those two days Mm -hmm. or minus 35 yeah you know cold climate heat pumps will run in some of those conditions but they're not very efficient and that's not good for the grid and that affects us all I've yeah, never thought, th- that's
0: a great point. I've never thought about that on the hottest day an an, an air source, <laughs> an air cooled air conditioner is the least efficient because it's doing the most amount of work. And, and, and because it's so hot, you can't, I, I I totally get what you're saying in the, in the reverse with the cold temperatures. Um, I've never thought about it that way and and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's a really good point.
1: Well, and when electricity operators, when you design an electricity grid, you don't, you essentially, you design it for peak, right? Just like we do heating and cooling analysis on our buildings, we look at peak loads. So they're looking at peak load of the grid and they have to make sure we have to meet those peak loads, even if they occur, you know, five hours of the year, they have to deliver energy for those five hours. So if we can reduce those peak loads for them by installing ground source heat pumps that operate at a, you know, COP of four or five throughout the entire year, that's a huge savings for society as a whole. In fact, it's so large that you could even give away geothermal systems to consumers and, and benefit as a whole, cover those costs. And that's what some of the studies that we, uh, uh, HRAI, the Heating Refrigeration Air Conditioning Institute, uh, recently commissioned Dunsky Energy Consulting to do those studies. And that's that's what they wound up with. Hmm.
0: So, I, going back to the cost, I think that the initial cost for some people, they say it's high because in a retrofit situation, it is is, it is a lot of upfront money. So if you have like a conventional system and natural gas and all that, and you want to go, hmm, I want a geothermal. Well, the the upfront cost I think is what people um, get, they shy away from, they're scared of. Is, is that upfront cost? Would that be a fair statement?
1: It totally is because, I mean, a furnace and – well, I'm not even – in tune with uh, I don't even know if you want to talk numbers but wholesale a furnace is not that expensive so mm-hmm. you know and then an air conditioner either right so um the difference is staggering um but the thing is we, we do have the Canada Greener Homes grant that was just announced and that provides about 5000 bucks towards a geothermal system so that helps it a little bit the, the thing is you're kind of buying your energy up front right you're talking yeah. to a person like me and I'm helping you put in a piping network that it's going to last for a hundred years or more. We don't know how long it's going to last, but it'll be there for longer than you will. And it will always be there to provide you uh, zero emission energy, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days seven days a week, uh, at point of use, turn a button, it's on, heating, cooling, and hot water, right? So um, I don't know. I think, and I think what's going to happen is utilities will get the picture um, there's, we have a different regulatory structure in Ontario than other areas because utilities in the U.S. are giving them away to some extent or are leasing them as a utility structure. Uh, so that w- probably will happen in Ontario at some point. Um, but for the homeowners that do it now, uh, they get to be their own utility. They be- get to become their own thermal energy utility. So I, I think there's great benefit to that for homeowners to make that that jump. and And the returns... The return on investment for rural consumers that are on oil, propane, electricity right now, the numbers make sense and you can pay it back very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who is like, who's getting on board right now with this? Like what, who have yeah. you talked to that, that wants to jump right in?
1: Oh, it's those. It's, so from a homeowner standpoint, it's those delivered fuels folks that have, uh, you know, a few acres of space, uh, to do it. Um, condos um, Toronto GTA that's probably the hottest segment uh, right now is big condos because the economics of it so there are utility companies private companies that have startup like utilities they'll all, they'll do the design and installation of the vertical board ground loop and uh, then just like a normal condo building would do they would you know tender out the inside mechanicals uh, the benefit is I mean the inside mechanicals of a condo building that's on geothermal versus a conventional building with a, uh, a boiler or cooling tower or chiller or whatever, uh, the mechanicals are the same. In suite, you have a heat pump or you have a fan coil, right? Um, the benefit to the condo is they can get rid of their cooling tower on the roof. And I used to sell cooling towers. Uh, so they get to free up that space. And a lot of those condo owners are putting up green space up there or using more, you know, there's your penthouse, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So they make the economics. The economics are actually positive for them now to go geothermal in a condo versus conventional. And you know, in in a, the GTA, uh, they have the Toronto Green Standard, and that is a municipal sort of energy code that has been ratcheting up for a number of years now. And basically, within a few years, uh, I think it goes to version four next year. But within a few years, you won't be able to put gas in in Toronto. That's coming in just a few years. Actually, Vancouver just went. They're going to be zero gas next year, right? So are they? Yeah. Wow. Like in in the Vancouver, and I thought it was going to get voted down, like, he, but they voted for it. So like, no more new gas. Like, no more when you built making a new building, no gas. It's crazy to think about it, but that's happening.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting going forward uh, with this because, like, like anything sort of, geothermal is not new, but it's a technology that has not caught on to the mainstream yet. And I think that's part of why you're here is you're trying to uh, create that sort of mainstream for geothermal. And and just like anything new, like um, when, when Tesla first launched, like it was like, oh, cool, there's a Tesla. Now it's like every single day I pass by three, four, <laughs> five Teslas right on, on the road. It's like a, a normal thing now. Um, so I see it coming. And, and the writings on the wall, and, and I like to try to look into the future um, from facts that are laid out in the present to, to try to see what what is coming down the pipeline. And I, and I strongly believe that geothermal is going to be a very strong contender for um, replacement and new installation projects like coming very soon.
1: Yeah, one of our, our biggest challenges is that you can't see it. Like once homeowners have it installed or buildings have it installed, you have no idea because it's buried. So we have, we don't, it's not like a solar panel or a Tesla that you see driving down the street, we have a visibility problem for sure. So hopefully um, people can, uh, I I think it's up to the municipalities for homes and for buildings. And we're seeing all of them come together now with electrification and heat pumps are the major topic for discussion for buildings. It's just important to note that, you know, like I said, at peak uh, air source heat pumps are going to be a challenge. And so we have to make sure we have a good mix of ground source because I, I mean, we have a very diverse climate in Canada. So there are areas that are definitely air source driven and there are building archetypes that are more conducive to air source heat pumps. Uh, so there's going to be a mix, uh, but we have to make sure we get as much ground source in there as possible to help reduce the cost overall. Gotcha.
0: So, I mean, as far as your company, how... If a contractor is interested in this and they don't know much about uh, geothermal or or how to take the next step into it, where does your company come in to help with that?
1: So I'm there to. I, I guess I'm kind of picking up where Next Energy kind of left off uh, as a market maker. So I'm out actively um, right now focused on residential retrofits. So pursuing consumers, uh, trying to educate consumers, uh, rural consumers on their options. And uh, essentially, I will work with those contractors. Uh, i am uh, partnered with a major manufacturer out of the US, EnterTech. Uh, partner as a, I'm a dealer agent for them in Ontario. And so my role is as the system designer, uh, project manager. And then I work with a group of contractors and those contractors that are interested in getting in ge- geothermal, this could be something for them for their first few jobs. Um, essentially you bring the consumer to them at zero cost of acquisition for them. Cause I'm doing all the marketing and, um, yeah, we take them through the installation. Uh, we do the loops. So we have our contractors that do the outside loops and then, um, it's just changing the heat pump and doing everything that they already know how to do the ductwork and electrical and everything you're already familiar
0: with. Awesome. Cool. So, I mean, anything else you want to. Lay on the table as far as geothermal and, and your mission regarding um, geothermal as bef- before we head out.
1: Just to keep an open mind for what's coming. Like things are coming fast. Twenty thirty. A lot of the municipalities are are setting some pretty aggressive targets for uh, decarbonization in their climate action plans, and a lot of them are setting twenty thirty as a pretty big date uh, to hit some big targets. So things are going to start changing fast. Um, have an open mind. Um, if, you know, something seems off or the costs of like geothermal seems too expensive, that's because we need to work more with more groups of people to help bring those costs down. And uh, if the technology has merit, which I'm hundred percent, I know it does what it does and it, it'll work for a long time. We just have to figure out the right, right ways to get it into, into building. So just have an open mind.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, on that note, I, Jeff, I got to thank you for getting on with us tonight and explaining this in detail. Now we we know what um, electrification is of a uh, of a, I guess of of a home of a system, and to get rid of the carbon emissions that we or the methane and all that kind of stuff that creates these these gases in our atmosphere that raises the temperature of the earth. A lot of people think that global warming is is not real, but <laughs> I mean, if if you if you look at the trends over the last uh, fifty years, you can really see uh, a difference in in climate. Like, I mean, just climate change in general. I, I it, it's really weird and it's it's really odd. Like, I remember back in the day. Just just uh, to go off topic, but I remember back in the day being like five or six, and the snow piles that we used yeah. to jump in were massive. And nowadays, yeah, sure. I mean. I live in a in a in a northern um, city north of Toronto. We get more snow than than like Toronto, Mississauga does. But when I drive down into the city, it's like there's nowhere near the amount of snow we used to get when I was a kid. And that that is that is one telltale sign right there. That you don't even have to look at any stats for.
1: No, and I remember those same. I think it was like the winter of eighty five, eighty six, eighty something like that. Massive snow, right? Yeah. And you know, I think some people think that it's natural cycles and,
0: you know, to an extent, could, could, I think. Could be. Yeah. could be too. Yeah. Right. Who knows?
1: But we can, we can measure our impact on, on that. Like we have that technology. We, yeah. we know what our impact is. So
0: Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time tonight, Jeff.
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me on. So I hope, uh, I hope it was educational.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for all of that info. And I mean, guys, is electrification is that word more clear to you now it is to me and it makes sense why Jeff is on this mission it, it really really does and it's very mind-blowing to know that basically for the same cost of running a natural natural gas service to a home that's rural out in the country you can install a geothermal system like the entire thing for the same price or less Right, and then you're not, and then you're saving energy going forward with your energy bill because you're extracting that energy from the ground. So that that was interesting in itself. Anyway, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you gained something from it. I did. And Jeff, thanks again. Thank you to the Master Group once again. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.